Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes, and today we continue our off-season series going in alphabetical order through the other 29 teams in the NBA, and we're on to Brooklyn. And for Brooklyn's perspective, I have Jack Manuel, who covers the Brooklyn Nets, does a podcast also a part of Blue Wire, that's the Brooklyn Buzz podcast, and also is a writer and video analyst for Off the Glass Basketball and Nets Republic. What's going on, Jack? How you doing, man? Good, mate. How are you? How's things over there in Sacramento in the the beforeland, the past? Yes, it is. Uh, we're on two completely different days here, and it's it's okay. You know, the past. I try not to live in it too much, but apparently that's exactly <laughs> what's going on right now. Um, and I, I think that both of our teams probably don't want to live too much in the past of last year either. Um, but we're going to start a little bit with. If you could give us a brief synopsis, which I know is a big ask of just what the expectations were last year and then how though how last year went compared to said expectations when it comes to Brooklyn before we get into this offseason. Yeah, look, last year was championship or bust, Brendan, and I don't think the Nets really got there in any sense of the word. There were plenty of things that derailed that, whether you have Steve Nash, whether you can count Joe Sy, whether you count Sean Mast, the roster construction, Kevin Durant's injury, Kyrie Irving's inavailability due to not being vaccinated, the inconsistencies of that. It's as chaotic as teaching in a classroom, the, the Brooklyn Nets last year. It was absolutely insane. So I think that the main reason why the Nets just were utterly shambolic is probably the best way to put it, is because of so many extenuating circumstances, so many things out of their control, whereas heading into next year, things are at least relatively okay. Yeah, it seems, yeah, relatively okay is, is definitely a way to put it. Like, do you feel like there's any big takeaways from last year and like the way maybe something changed in the way you view a player? Like, is there progression from Nick Claxton that has you viewing him a type of way or, or anything like that? I think Clax had a – I was really impressed with his postseason. I think that we saw from him, like, uh, he's one of the better switchable bigs for those that don't watch a lot of Nets basketball. You know, Clax City is, a, is an area that Nick and I, my, my other co-host, uh, are big fans of Nick Claxton. think that he can be you know, a, a real player going forward, a starting caliber center. It's just going to be interesting to fit between him and Ben Simmons. But his postseason was great. His defense was great. He had some good moments on Joel Embiid as well. The postseason, you know, Seth Curry was really positive as well. There's just so many unknowns about this Nets team that could be positive or negative. And if Kevin Durant, there was talks of him having a possible injury and playing through it in the postseason, had one of the worst postseasons of his, you know, pretty illustrious career. Kyrie Irving as inconsistent as ever. So I think the big takeaway from it, Brennan, is that there's so much untapped potential from it and I for this Brooklyn Nets team. And I think that's the most frustrating thing about them because... They can be great, but they're. I think Zach Lois said this as, as well as me. They're just the greatest what if team maybe ever over this sort of two three year period. And hopefully, the what ifs aren't going to be what ifs next year. It's going to be a championship. It's going to be Kevin Durant dominating, and it's going to be Kyrie Irving playing sixty five games of All NBA caliber basketball. It's just hopefully the what ifs become more of a reality. Yeah, hopefully, uh, definitely one of the biggest what ifs. I, I think a very accurate way to to kind of depict the previous year's teams. And, and one of those big aspects was James Harden, and he gets eventually gets moved on from for uh, Ben Simmons. How did you feel about that return? And Seth Curry coming back is a big part of that as well. Um, but how did you feel about that return? What were some of the other options that you saw out there? And how did you feel about Simmons ultimately being it? 
Can't forget Andre Drummond. No, we don't need to talk about Andre Drummond <laughs> on, on the pod. But I think that the return was fine. I mean, I've had a complicated personal fandom towards Ben Simmons, given being an Aussie and his interesting relationship with the national team and such. But I think stylistically, Ben Simmons fits as well on the Brooklyn Nets as any team in the NBA. He literally fits perfectly alongside Kevin Rant, Kyrie Irving, can, doesn't have to shoot a three for the rest of his life. I don't think there were many other great deals out there. And I think part of the reason why we saw Kevin Durant stay in Brooklyn partly might have been from Josiah and Sean Marks learning the lesson and going, okay, maybe we have to be a bit more steadfast and stubborn here so we don't let the superstar walk. I think James Harden is a different beast given his personality and how the game against the Sacramento Kings is probably the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't think Kevin Durant's going to do that. So I think that the way that the Nets handled that was a little bit better than how the whole James Harden situation was. But I also think that some of his gripes were were warranted. You know, he didn't like the way Steve Nash was, Nash was coaching. He didn't like little things here and there. So I think ultimately it was a relatively fair return. But an unknown quantity in Ben Simmons, you know, that's a big what if if we've ever heard of, heard of a what if. When he's at his best, he's one of the best defenders in the NBA, all NBA caliber, top 15, top 20 player. But he's been injured so much. He's broken up with his partner, apparently. There's a, <laughs> a lot of what ifs that are just with Ben Simmons alone, let alone the Brooklyn Nets team. Yeah, do you feel like with all those what ifs, is there a expectation that can be placed on Simmons next year? You know, is there a feel on like is he even going to be playing at the beginning of the year? Or I, I don't know, is it reasonable to have expectations for Simmons next year? I mean, there has to be because the Nets have given up a ransom for him. They have been marketing him like crazy using their on their national their social medias, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, or whatever. And the most recent you know, national reports we've gotten are from Sham saying that he's practicing for three on three. And I spoke about that with Nick and I was a bit worrisome and irksome about the fact, okay, he's only doing three on three and we're like a month out from training camp. Obviously, there might be other things. He could be progressing positively, but you can't believe so many of the reports because there were reports he was going to play game four and then suddenly that's out the window. So I think I've said this plenty on the Brooklyn Buzz that if he's in a good space mentally, everything else is going to take care of itself. He's had a lot of stuff personally with family and and friends and and stuff behind the scenes that are are things beyond me that I don't want to speculate about. If he's in a good space mentally, the physical is going to take care of itself. He's he's looking good. You know, he's he's posting a lot of Instagram videos, a a lot of stories of him at the training center. He's going to a lot of the games. He was at the US Open apparently the other day. So having expectations on Ben Simmons, I mean, the, the the floor and ceiling of Ben Simmons is is inordinate. It, it, you, just, you don't know. He could be All-NBA Defensive Player of the Year or he could play 20 games. Like, it's just the the range of that spectrum is, is so deep. Yeah, and, and obviously, I, I think that the team goes maybe not necessarily just as far as Simmons, but he's one of the key pieces very clearly. Like, I, I think it's crazy to look at this roster and think that, like, they really could have the best player in the league and the best defender in the league and Kyrie Irving. And like, I, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. And there are a lot of ifs surrounding that for sure. But just that even being a possibility um, personally excites me a little bit. And when it comes to just the whole Kevin Durant saga that we just went through and, and Kyrie Irving as well, kind of being floated around in there as well. Um, now that it's settled and it looks like both of them are here to stay. And it looks like, correct me if I'm wrong, the coaching staff and front office is here to stay as well. Um, do you have to just trust that they try to work it out? Or is that another one of these what ifs that if 
they are on the same page because there's also an if on the other side of maybe they won't get along. That is probably the biggest what if moment. Like literally, is Steve Nash, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Sean Marks, are, they, are the big guys all going to be on the same page? They're going along with Ben Simmons' health and mental and physical health. I think that's the, the biggest thing. If the Nets have it, the Nets have a pretty tough schedule to start the season. And if they start poorly, you know, the hot seat is going to be on Steve Nash in Brooklyn. Plenty of fans aren't the, the plenty of fans aren't the biggest fan of his in terms of what he's done you know, since being a Brooklyn Nets head coach. A lot of more national people are sort of aren't analyzing him as greatly and sort of just giving him a bit of a pass. What else would a, a coach sort of done? So I think that. We've got uh, some kumbayas a little bit in terms of, you know, on the, 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 the statement that came out, we got the boardroom signature on it. So there seems <laughs> to be a little bit of leeway between, you know, Kevin Durant and Joe Sy and Sean Marks and, and the people in between there. You know, Markeith Morris, the signing that was announced, you know, we saw Kevin Durant like that on Instagram. So he, he said before it's a Wings League. So there seems to be a little bit of to and forth, a little bit of negotiation. So hopefully they remain on the same page. Joe Sy through like Brian Lewis and other reporters is, is essentially saying this isn't a last dance sort of thing. This is a long term. I think that's what he wants to put out there. But anything can change in the span of a, a game or two or three, four by the trade deadline. I have no idea what this team is going to look like, whether it's Kevin Durant is gone, Kyrie Irving is gone, Kyrie Irving is extended, Steve Nash is gone. Your guess and anyone else's guess is as good as mine, despite the fact that I've been covering this team for a couple of years. Yeah, definitely a complicated situation that's going to make for a pretty fun season. And just another if, I think, is Joe Harris, who's really intriguing to me. And uh, coming back from, I I believe it was his ankle that he had surgery on. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, You know, do you feel like, is he expected to come back if you have an understanding of come back into into camp in in shape and be able to play? And and kind of, I I heard that, I think, believe on your guys's pod if i'm remembering this correctly i think you predicted him to be a part of the starting lineup even um do you think that joe harris will be ready to go from the start i think i'm more confident about joe than ben simmons if we're sort of comparing the two there was i remember hearing things about you know he could he come back for the playoffs before he decided to go the more conservative route with the surgery so i think i'm pretty confident with joe coming back and slotting in with the stars because the way he's played alongside harden in the past as well as katie and Kyrie. He's the ultimate role player. He gives the Nets a bit more size at that shooting guard, small forward position, which they don't have with Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Cam Thomas, these other guards who are probably shorter than me in, in, in saying that. So I think Joe's going to be okay. I'm hoping that you know he's, he comes back and he's one of the best. I, I think I'm more worried about the ancillary stuff, not necessarily the three-point shooting because he is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. And you can make an argument that they've got two of the three. And if you want to throw in KD and Kyrie with Seth Curry, their three-point shooting is going to be incredible. It's going to be, how is Joe looking with his defense? How is he looking with the the, the game reps? You know, what are his feet like? Is he getting himself, you know, those sort of game reps? And then come the postseason where he has struggled, you know, quite a bit. He's had a few games here and there. You know, the Boston series a couple of years ago sticks out as being a really positive one. But he's also had some of his moments against Milwaukee. So, for me, this regular season isn't going to be where I'm judging Joe Harris. I think he's going to be fine. It's when you know push comes to shove uh, for the rest of the team, as well as Joe, can he put up when it really does matter uh, when in the postseason where hopefully the Nets are challenging for a championship. Yeah, I definitely see it. Royce O'Neal is another guy that intrigues me for sure at that position. I, I thought that the way that he was acquired was very interesting, just the fact that it happened. And then, what, a couple days later, the K- 
Dean news drops that he wants out, and it's like clearly this was out of nowhere for Brooklyn's front office, considering they just were trading first-round picks to get these complimentary pieces. Um, is there a world where you see Royce O'Neal starting or, or finishing games for this team? I think it's very, very easy to say. You know, Nick and I will be diving deep into plenty of lineup chat, and we had a little bit on our mailbag episode where we chatted about the fact, look, Nick Claxton is likely to start alongside Ben Simmons, despite the fact that it is a bit of a clunky fit. I'd more likely see Ben Simmons finishing with Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, KD, and Kyrie. That just fits a, a lot more stylistically, even if, you know, Royce O'Neal isn't, he had a, a relatively lackluster season, you know, in Utah, but you know it was a bit of a shit show over there um, in Utah, to to be frank. So I think that I would we're more likely to see Royce finish than start, you know, unless Joe Harris, you know, has his ailments or there is some issue with with Clax because the Nets are quite shallow at the five position, which is saying something after last year where they had Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin, Lamarcus Aldridge. It's like we've gone the complete opposite direction with the guards this time around. So I think Royce O'Neal is more likely to finish than start, Brendan, but. Uh, I think both could happen. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. I, I think Seth Curry someone that I probably, of all the guys on this roster, that's like who I know what to expect from the most in my mind. Um, what about who after kind of that starting lineup that we've laid out and then we touched on Royce O'Neal, Seth Curry, like who after that are guys that really intrigue you and maybe somebody that hasn't paid the most attention to Brooklyn or, or the most educated on it? Like who are some of these like, fringe X factors that you see as being potential contributors? Look, I'm really intrigued about TJ Warren and I've chatted with some Pacers people. I've looked them, I've tried to get involved a bit more in Pacers Twitter because you know, him as just a, a vet minimum guy, you know, after dominate the last time he was playing basketball, he was dominating in the bubble. Obviously the bubble is whatever we want to consider in the in NBA history, but he's a wing type who can get his own. And I think he's okay defensively, probably a, a little bit under average, but the Nets have, been sore when it comes to having you know, wings. They've got Kessler Edwards, their rookie, who had a pretty good rookie season, but really uh, petered out when it came to the postseason. Markeith Morris, I thought, was a nice addition, despite you know, some people. It's an on-guarantee deal, so I think that that's worth the flyer. And then Utah, Watana, Utah Watanabe. Uh, so they've got a couple of guys here that I think have some wing depth you know, alongside Kevin Rant, where the burden isn't going to be on him to play 49 minutes in a 48-minute game like Stephen Ash did for, for so many games throughout the regular season against like Detroit or whatever. So now there's a bit more roster flexibility. You know, those depth pieces, even like an Edmund Sumner, I, I'm, I'm intrigued about him as sort of like a, a bigger guard type with a bit of athleticism, a bit of playmaking. There's some guys here, and the way that Sean Marks has had this offseason, a lot of people have criticized me for my thoughts on 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 Sean Marks of late, but he's had a pretty good offseason. I have to judge him pretty much off those moves, and they've been pretty solid so far, other than probably, you know, having no real backup five other than, you know, your rookie day on Sharp, which, you know, he still has a ways to go, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. That's that's where I wanted to kind of go next, because there are these fringe guys. I, I think the names that you just went through, like Cam Thomas is somewhat intriguing to me, a guy that can can go and get a bucket undeniably. Um, I like Kessler Edwards. I think he just had kind of typical rookie things. You know, I, I think as somebody that you expect to be three and D, the D obviously probably isn't going to be there very often when it comes to rookies that were in his sort of draft range. And I, I think progress there could be pretty big um, if any of these guys hit as a reliable 15 a minute a night guy. I think that that's a very big win for the depth of the wing roster or the wing uh, depth on this roster. But you mentioned kind of the backup five there and how there's no real solution right now. Um, do you think that it could stay that way and Simmons plays it or does it feel like there needs to be another five added? 
Yeah, Alex Schiff, uh, who's been on the net speed and does a, a lot of great reporting for the Athletic, was one of the first to report and saying that you know Ben Simmons could play the five. You know, I'd looked up a you know some of his time in in Philadelphia when you know Joel Embiid was out sometimes in the postseason as well. And he's obviously his weakest part of his defense is rim protection. Katie actually is a, a good help rim protector. Obviously, as he's getting older, that's going to wane. But when he's engaged. He wasn't as necessarily as engaged given the burden of the offensive end this season. I think the Nets will need to eventually, but I'd prefer you know them going just after good players like a Marquise Morris who could sparingly maybe play a Mike Scottish, a Mike Scott-ish sort of role like he did in Philadelphia alongside Ben Simmons. So I, I would prefer just to have that. And if there is a trade around the deadline, it's a Miles Turner if he's still sticking around. If it's a Yucca Purtle for a Seth Curry, you know, there were names that Nick and I discussed on, on the last episode because that centerpiece is still. Something that could be, you know, clamored for. But a lot of our listeners were sort of saying, do we really need one? You know, look at Boston, look at Golden State. These guys have got makeshift centers. I think Robert Williams is a pretty good, a bloody good center, but he doesn't play like a traditional center in, in the sense of the word, like a Jokic and Embiid, a, a DeMontis Sabonis, even that fact, or a Rashawn Holmes, who you know, I've been, been a big fan of and, and wish the Nets could have got, it, got in on that. So I think that they've got some pieces there that if they want to make a trade, they could. But I think they might just wait it out. And then there's also the buyout market where the Nets have been, you know, you know they've got Blake Griffin there uh, before and, and I'd love, love Blake to come back. I don't know what the likelihood of that is. LaMarcus Aldridge, I think he's probably done. But they've got these guys before because people want to go to Brooklyn. People want to play with KD and Kyrie, even if it is a bit of a shit show and, and chaos at the best of times. Yeah, and being a Kings podcast, I feel like I have to ask about DeMarcus Cousins for this potential spot. <laughs> I, I've seen you tweeting about him a little bit. Are you a fan of Boogie filling that role? Yeah, look, I don't hate it. I think that he's got a, an established relationship with KD and Kyrie given their Team USA time together. Obviously, you probably know as much about him and then may, many other people on NBA Twitter. He's obviously lost a little bit. And I remember seeing you know, and, and hearing reports of like he even like burnt his time out a little bit in Denver when he spent there. But when he's on the court, he's just got so much talent. Yeah, and he's a great offensive force. And just to have as a guy there to add to the roster... I would not hate it in the, in any sense of the word. I think that the locker room is combustible at the best of times. Adding it to Marcus Cousins, does that make things worse? Or does it make things better? Because there's a sense of, you know, buddy, buddy, and Katie's got it made, and Kyrie's got it made, and they're sort of, you know, feeling a bit more chill with their buddies around. But to Marcus Cousins' talent is undeniable, and I think it's worth a flyer. But there's also a reason that no one else has given him, you know, a vet minimum or, or any sort of contract, uh, unguaranteed contract either. So... I, I'm glad they signed Marquee for you know on that non-guaranteed deal instead because I prefer him as a sort of you know wing five-ish sort of piece. But the Marcus would uh, you, you could do worse as well. Yeah, definitely see that. Um, and I think the issue this is where I try to pitch every single team. Is there any world where Rashawn Holmes or Harrison Barnes is of interest? Because I think that those guys are going to be on the trade block for Sacramento all year long. I think they have been throughout this summer, and I think this is a good spot to potentially talk about Rashawn Holmes a little bit. The issue is matching salary, right? He's about $11 million, and I think this is the issue I kind of found myself running into a decent amount trying to figure out a potential deal um, with Brooklyn. Like, I, is is Joe Harris a possibility? Like, Rashawn Holmes and Terrence Davis works for Joe Harris. Like, in your mind, if is there a potential matching salary that could make a Rashawn Holmes deal work, or is that kind of where this falls apart pretty quick? I think Seth Curry is the name that makes some sense, Brendan, but I'm not sure of the, the Kings and their front office desire and their team's desire to get Seth Curry on board. But And you maybe throw in a Cam Thomas or you throw in a, a Dayron Sharp or, or, or one of those sort of guys to sort of and make the deal work. 
which team says no in that, you know, that's something that I'm sure would get a million replies on either of our pages. People talking back and forth about, no, Seth Curry's the best three-point shooter in the league. No, Rashawn Holmes is one of the better switching bigs and a really versatile in the pick and roll. So I think that it's about, you know, what works. And and I, the Seth Curry money does work. I think he's on nine-ish sort of million dollars. And he's throwing yeah, the I just did. Seth, Seth Curry and Cam Thomas works for Rashawn Holmes. There you go. Now, do I do that? I'm not, I'm not saying don't aggregate me or don't, don't yeah. get into my DMs here or there, but that is a deal that works in theory. Which team would, which team do you think would be more likely to say yes or no to that deal? I mean, the Kings need spacing really bad. And Seth is that guy, you know? I mean, they have a ridiculous amount of twos right now is the issue. Like, if if Davion is going to play at the two at all alongside De'Aaron, there's that. But there's Kevin Herter, there's Malik Monk, there's Terrence Davis. And I think that, like, Herter could play at the three. You could see Davis play at the three in some of these small lineups. So, like, positionally, I think it's complicated for the thing for the Kings. But I don't know that I'm overlooking Cam Thomas when you need – I mean, um, that I'm overlooking Seth Curry when you need spacing more than anything alongside Fox and Sabonis. And he's legitimately, you know, obviously we've both followed his time around the NBA, but seeing him in Brooklyn, he is literally lethal. He is absolute money. And he's beyond his three-point shooting as well. He's got a nice mid-range game, decent enough handle. He is a two-and-a-half level scorer. I wouldn't call him a three-level scorer given you know his size and probably he can't really get to the rim a lot, but he can get into those sort of areas. And I think he's a, a really good presence on any team. And you're literally... Having him and Joe Harris is something that really excites me, having them two in different lineups and then Patty Mills is sort of a, a backup. But you know, the, the Nets, it, it almost feels the need for, for the Nets probably more so than it does for the Kings because the Nets desperately need some form of a center that could play alongside Ben Simmons. And I think Holmes fits a little bit better than Claxton would, but he still doesn't necessarily provide the spacing that like a Miles Turner or you know, Mike Muscala, who's been brought up as a sort of fringe piece here or there. So it sort of works in part for both teams, I guess, if it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I guess there's like Alex Len sitting there. Um, we, we don't have to spend too much time on Alex Len. Alex Len's a little weird because he's making about $4 million. Um, But I, I guess that that's there as well. And I, I wouldn't imagine it would take all too much to get Alex Len. Um, what about Harrison Barnes? Like, is there any world where Joe Harris doesn't look right and like HB is expiring and, and Joe has one more year and that's why it makes sense from Sacramento's point of view. Um, is there a world where Royce O'Neal is on the table? What do, you, what do you think of those? I think Joe Harris makes the most sense despite the fact that we've heard plenty of reports of late saying that Joe is untradeable. He's off the block. He's got a really strong relationship with Sean Marks being you know one of his final guys there. You know, since he's the start of his tenure, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's gone, D'Angelo Russell's gone. Those guys that he sort of brought up. So I remember when the James Harden saga was going down, you know, Joe Harris and Sean Marks were speaking directly to James Harden together. So it shows how close his ties are with the organization. But there were also some rumors I heard floating around about the Nets were getting trying to use the first rounder that they got from Philadelphia in a deal with Joe Harris to get a Jeremy Grant and I don't think the Pistons were too interested in that. Obviously, you know, what happened with uh, Portland, uh, we saw how that eventuated. Is Harrison Barnes, you know, a, a facsimile of of that? Yeah, probably. But now that the Nets have some of these sort of fringe wing guys, Yuta Watanabe, Markeith Morris, TJ Warren, is that good enough? I don't think... I, I think it could be. But I think Harrison Barnes alongside you know, Kevin Durant is a, is a formidable wing force 
and reliability that you could certainly go towards in the postseason. So I wouldn't count that out by any stretch of the imagination. It's just the personal ties that Joe Harris has. It's sort of just like you have to put yourself in Sean Marks' shoes. It's that he want to make this deal. Is Sacramento going to throw any like a a first, a future first, because you know the Nets are obviously losing a lot of theirs to to, uh, to Houston in, in the coming years. So, in theory, similar to our discussion on some of the other guys, it does work. Who does it work for more? That's what I'm not sure about. Right, and in, in these conversations, I, I think people sometimes mistake them as I'm saying this is for sure like a good thing from Sacramento's point of view, and it's more so I'm pitching this to every team and seeing the different possibilities. And at the end, it can be like, okay, this maybe this is really the best thing that you can get for HB or or for Rashawn because you run into issues of Rashawn Holmes specifically. It's like Rashawn Holmes is great. I think he's worth the three years, roughly thirty four, thirty five million. Uh, value contract that he's on but it's sort of opportunity cost when it comes to backup centers or like lower level uh, starting centers Holmes I I think is very specific to like a switching scheme um, which is why I thought like Brooklyn Boston I mean uh, Boston and uh, the Clippers made a lot of sense for example but there's a lot of times that teams can go out and get say like a Daniel Tice or um, you know whatever is going on with Montrez Harrell I don't know what his situation is but there's always like some fringe guy available that can fill the role for such a cheaper cost and i think that's where you run into some of these issues um let's see what else uh do i have for you here before i get you out of here jack um do you have any strong opinions on uh matthew della vadova possibly being catching the nbl last year I'm seeing some of the some of the comments, and as a, a, a proud Australian, if I'm not a Matthew Delavadova fan, then I I would have to renounce my citizenship down here. Ben Simmons is sort of like one of those faux Australians where it's just like, well, he hasn't played for for Team Australia. It's almost like if I'm ranking the Australian basketball boomers players, Matthew Delavadova is right up there, probably on a, a rung below uh, my guy Paddy Mills, who I have very strong affinity towards, and, and I'm looking forward to him coming back home. I think for a bit of a tour, so. Uh, you got to love Delhi. You know, that Cleveland series, you know, him locking down Steph Curry, locking, locking down Steph Curry, um, was a lot of fun. You have to love it. You have to love it. It'll be interesting to see who Sacramento picks between uh, him and Quinn Cook. The other day I tweeted out that I think that my, my spicy take for the finals, and I'm not locking this in yet because I still think that I favor Milwaukee in the East, but I can see Brooklyn going to the finals. And... Just am I am I crazy for that? Because I feel like if things go right, that this team is crazy talented. No, there's a lot of people sipping the Kool Aid now that Kevin Durant's sticking around, and I'm one to sort of temper those expectations because I've certainly been burnt before. But talent runs the NBA. It's just how how does the talent fit alongside system, alongside availability, alongside some of the uncontrollables, the extenuating circumstances. Dude, does do, does Ben Simmons actually play you know a consistent amount of basketball? Does Kyrie Irving play a consistent amount of basketball? On paper, Kevin Durant almost beat the Milwaukee Bucks a couple of years ago by himself. You know, playing alongside Blake Griffin and Jeff Green. You know, that was an insane series, one of the best series I've seen an individual player ever play. Now that if things start to click just a little bit, I'm sure there'll be some semblance you know throughout the year where we get something from. Shams speaking about how Kevin Durant doesn't like Steve Nash or Kevin Durant doesn't like Joe Harris. He wants them traded or something like that. But if at the right time, come April, and the Nets are second, third seed, they've got 50, 55 wins in the bank, and they're going up against you know the Bucks or they're going up against the Heat or whoever else it might be, 
they're the team that I think a lot of others isn't going to want to face. I will say that while the Brooklyn did get swept by Boston, I think Kevin Pelton was the one that pointed out that was either the lowest margin of victory across the four games ever or, or one of the ever. I think it was like 18 points across those four games. And if game one had gone differently and Kyrie Irving's explosive performance you know, changes things. And even, this, even game two, we could have had a different series. That's me maybe living in the what-if world that we discussed a little bit earlier. But talent, you, know, you, you, can't, you can't ever underestimate talent, Brendan. Absolutely, and, and this Brooklyn roster is filled with it. I, I think that there is worlds where a trade makes sense if things, depending on how things play out down the year. I, I think that Rashawn Holmes is a, a really good center, and Brooklyn needing a potential another big. Maybe there's something there. I think that HB is a very good wing um, that's a great complimentary. I think it's a fourth or fifth guy. He's phenomenal on a championship team, and, and maybe there's something there if Joe Harris doesn't look like himself. So I think maybe down the line, it's something that could be revisited, and it wouldn't shock me. I think that there's probably other things uh, from both teams' point of view that would probably be easier and more preferred, um, but you never know. And the last thing I have for you, Jack, this is the question I'm throwing at everyone, and I know it's a little bit more difficult probably for people on uh, – uh, covering teams in the Eastern Conference, but do you have any opinions or strong thoughts on a Fox and Sabonis pairing and how that will function in Sacramento? I've always been a De'Aaron Fox guy. It's weird. You know, I chat with Nick a lot and you know, when he got that extension, Nick was like, really? And I'm like, look, I think this kid has so much untapped potential. And the way that he finished the season left me with a lot of optimism. Now, was that fool's gold? We'll have to wait and see. Or is that momentum to take into to this year where Jaron Fox is a fringe all-star sort of guy and DeMontis Sabonis, who is an all-star, despite what you know Nate Duncan might think, is a legitimate all-star caliber player. And there's some of the video that you've been putting on your timeline. He is, a, I think both of those guys are sneaky underrated and they could have, you know, the, the sort of mentality where it's just like, well, these guys, the whole national media where everyone's like criticizing us. They don't think we can do this. And I think that th those guys, there's a weird counterbalance to their games, the sort of speed and finesse, where it's sort of like artistic. And that's some of the great things about basketball. There's creativity, there's art, artistic, an artistic nature to it. So I'm really intrigued about it. And I think both of them have a point to prove. So I think that's a, it, it's going to be a fun pairing and, and one that I'll be watching and, and not just because you got me on this podcast. Love it. Great answer. Jack, um, very last question that again I'm throwing at everyone and uh, and polling. I'm only this is actually only the third one. I got I got to speed this up to get through the off season with all these other teams. Going to run it a little bit into preseason. Um, but do the Sacramento Kings end their postseason drought? 16 years now. Um, I think that there are four teams in the West that probably, especially after the Utah trade today, are not really competitors for the play in in my mind. Um, but do the Kings finally make the playoffs? Not the play-in, but the playoffs. See, the play. if you had, had to say the play-in, Brendan, I could have given you a, probably a little bit more leeway, but I just can't see it happening. I think that the West is too stacked. You see the Clippers coming back with, with Kawhi Leonard. You know, the, the Denver Nuggets are going to be even better. You know, the Portland Trailblazers now with, with Lillard, and, and I think that there's they're in that similar sort of range where – I'm hoping, I always, you know, it's an Aussie mentality to to root for the underdog. And I'm hoping that a team like the Sacramento Kings is pushing for that eight seed. They're around the sort of Pelicans range. Maybe Zion isn't as healthy as we want. But, man, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can do because you know, I love an underdog down here and down under. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, that's Jack Manuel covers the Brooklyn Nets, um, co-host of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast, part of the Blue Wire podcast network, and also does work for Off the Glass Basketball and Nets Republic. Anything else I'm missing here, Jack, before I get you Mate, out of here? you got it all there. And if, and if people aren't following you that are watching this stream right now, you, you better get on it because the way that this man covers the Sacramento Kings is as well as any person covers any team. The, the, the amount of analysis, the amount of content, Brendan is one of the goats, guys. I appreciate you, Jack. And same vice versa. That's at Jack Manuel, J-A-C-M-A-N-U-E-L-L for anybody that is not already aware. And I think people will roll their eyes a little bit at covering these other teams, but you got to know the competition. You got to know the rest of the league and the other players for potential trades and and matchups and, and things like this. So Thank you for doing this, man, again. Um, and thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Definitely check out the King's Herald for um, all the great work from myself and all the other guys and gals there as well, starting that 30-question series as they always do in September. Take a look at their Patreon as for local independent King's coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And hear from us again in the next couple of days. <laughs>